Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Uh, hey there. Welcome. Welcome to the Bodybuilding.com podcast. Fittest podcast in the world. Ever. On your phone. It gives your phone an instant six-pack. Mm-hmm. Just ripples. Yep. 22-inch biceps. Unless, unless, of course, you do everything wrong. And that's our topic for today. You're doing it all wrong. Surprising. You think, you know, what could I be doing wrong? I, I, I subscribe to all the right Instagram feeds. I go to the right websites. I go to bodybuilding.com. I listen to this podcast. There's no way I could be doing everything wrong. Chances are you are doing everything wrong. <laughs> well, I know I'm doing yeah. everything wrong. <laughs> no, I think we can all learn from one or two things discussed today. Mm-hmm. All right. We have here Chrissy Kendall, <laughs> a.k.a. the fit chick. Dr. Chrissy Kendall, a.k.a. The blue shirt. The blue shirt. It's a blue shirt, right? Uh-huh. Another, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's famous. And, uh, this is this is radio, so it uh, doesn't matter what color. We're we're no. all wearing po- Just, uh, posing suits. Yeah. I've got my. Uh, Gotta be uh, naked. <laughs> that's right. I've got my hair back in a kai green man bun. Yeah. Don't ask what's <laughs> happening below the table. <laughs> and uh, you just heard the voice of uh, Doctor Bill Geiger. You're, you're a doctor. No. <laughs> I know. Uh, Bill Guy, Bill Geiger is here. He's our first guest, former editor of Muscle Mag, Muscle and Fitness, Muscle Fitness Hers, Muscle and Fitness Ours. <laughs> There's everyone. All the, all the pronouns. All the muscles. Bill Ben around the block anyway, and he's going to tell us um, some, pass along some life lessons, what what he's learned uh, so that we don't have to. <laughs> yeah, learn from your mistakes. I'll be your guinea pig. Thank you. Well, we'll give give us a little um, window into what. What got you in the gym in the first place? And where oh, you're, you're the dawn of Bill Geiger's training life? Well, it was a long time ago. Um, I was doing. Like, are we talking 60, 70 years? I'm going to give you perspective, <laughs> okay. all right? So, Chris, I've been training for. He's bringing the 30, age jokes yeah, I've been earlier. I've training for uh, 35 years now. And um, I did worked in sports information at a small Division three college in LA. And um, I worked with all the athletes from the various sports as part of that job. And. Um, uh, was friends with a lot of football players, and so it just sort of got me started training. I liked how it looked on on those people. They weren't insanely large at the Division three level, and then you just sort of get hooked, you know. And so you were lifting with football players rather than bodybuilders at first. There were no bodybuild. There were so few bodybuilders back in the. This is like the early eighties mm-hmm. that uh, it was still. Uh, you know, Arnold had just finished competing in nineteen eighty, so mm-hmm. it was still pretty pretty new. Mm. So then, where did you learn? from just from where did I learn well I got to tell you what that there were none of the resources you see today um for the most part I learned from people who were already doing it you know uh you watch guys do it or guys would help you learn how to work out it was a small gym so it wasn't too large um and you know perhaps you read a magazine Mm -hmm. um but there's only so much you can learn from an a and b picture Mm -hmm. um and even reading an exercise description uh because you're going to read it you're not reading at the gym you're reading it at home and then you have to remember all that by the time you get to the gym well Mm -hmm. most of that's gone so um yeah that's that's something that i that i tell people i mean i'm sure that we all have people in our lives who come to us and they're like oh you work for bodybuilding oh you guys are experts you got to tell me what to do and they send me some articles, what and, if, and, and I, I always question. think you don't, you don't you don't understand. There's zero 
substitution um, for personal uh, oversight from somebody who knows what they're doing. Somebody just to come and say, yeah, here's what you're doing wrong. Because when you're starting out, you have uh, zero bodily awareness. Right. You know? You're uncoordinated. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You're totally uncoordinated. And p- somebody can tell you, this is something I've heard from a bunch of trainers as well. They say, uh, yeah, don't round your back during that deadlift. And you think, oh, okay. And you really think your back is straight. And your back yeah. is so bent. And everything looks so wrong. And you just have zero awareness, zero yeah. control. Absolutely or they true, even yeah. what muscles. So it's like, pull with your lats. Pull. It's like, mm-hmm. where the hell are my lats? Where should, Where do I feel this? Uh, People don't. Over yeah, there. L- lower body, mm-hmm. legs. Around the corner. Yeah. Calves. <laughs> Somewhere. So who was, the, who was the great mentor that... Kind of put you on the right track, finally. Well, I actually had a couple of friends that were on the football team and invited me to come work out with them to get started. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where I learned um, most of what I learned in the beginning uh, was sort of pretty much basic free weight movements. Um, but you're at the mercy of, of their knowledge, mm-hmm. um, typically. And uh, Do you ever get, like, you have that moment, guys talk about, oh, I got pinned under 95 pounds. No, never had that mm-hmm. moment. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Ninety-five Lucky. pounds. Wow. Uh, I don't. You haven't lived it, until you've been pinned underweight. I think Jay Keller, one of those guys, has one of those stories where it's like, yeah, I, I got straight up pinned under ninety-five pounds the very first time. Yeah, one of the interviews I did early on was with a guy who got pinned, and or his father had gotten pinned, and and I hate to say this, but his father actually died um, under a weight. And wow. Learned from one of those stories. Mm-hmm. He was at home alone, training in the basement, put collars on a bench. And you can't move without a spotter, and mm-hmm. you, you know big problems can happen. So, um, lesson there is don't use collars mm-hmm. when exactly. you train alone. So you had you had spotters from the start. You did it right. pretty much. Um, I mean, in the, in the in the in the college gym, there's lots of people there. Um, and the thing is, when you're a beginner, every workout you're stronger than the last mm-hmm. ones. You're always putting on a little bit more weight and pushing yourself to do it, and it keeps going up. Mm-hmm. So it's very motivating. Mm-hmm. You remember your first injury in the gym? <laughs> uh, no, probably Wasn't embarrassment that, from my skinny legs or something. <laughs> Calf shame is, yeah. is an injury, yeah. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I always remember my first. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So like throwing your back out or something like that? Uh, yeah, no, I think it was um, just jumping on a box. Jumping on a <laughs> Falling. Box. Attempting it to was, jump on a box. <laughs> yeah. Falling a few inches short. You know, I think it was doing something like bicep curls where I strained something in my yeah. back uh, and I could really feel it for cheat, a couple days. Yeah. Monster yep. cheat curl. Yeah, yeah look at that thing. I'm, yeah. I can yeah. curl that. Look at me that thing. Yep. <laughs> how, do you, how do you injure your back on bicep curls, you know? Yeah, but it's... How is that possible? Uh-huh. <laughs> I think Using it's that probably... momentum. That's right. Get the bar up but it's the back is the deal man i like that i feel like that's that's the thing yeah. that that sends so many and so many people um towards websites like ours in the first place anymore is because um yeah i i, I know in my case like every six months like clockwork i would just have two days where i was just on my ass because my back would just decided that it hated me over and over again and after about three or four times of doing that i was like you know what I'm going to be chasing around back pain or getting chased by it for the rest of my life if I don't start doing something right now. And it's got to, it's got to be like a, a choice. Like I have to embrace it as a way of life with the specific goal of not being in back pain because back pain is the worst thing, as I think you understand, Bill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you, you understand yeah. that as well. It's yeah. just – it's um, and it's everybody thinks they're immune to it. You long-time know? lifters, it's common. I mean, mm-hmm. most of us have back pain stories, and it's just one of those things that you better learn from or it's going to mm-hmm. knock you out eventually. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I see around here watching people in the gym and listening to people talk about you know, strength training all the time is you see people catch different bugs all the time where it's like, 
somebody gets the strength bug, like that's it. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna see what what my one RM potential is, or they get the I'm gonna be under ten percent body fat all year round sort of bug, or um, like the I'm gonna I'm gonna compete sort of bug. People get those. Like you see you see you can just tell when somebody's sort of in a phase. Have you been? Uh, have you caught all the bugs over the years? Absolutely. Where, yeah. I mean, there are times, especially if you part of your job is going to bodybuilding shows, right. and you just see these guys in great shape. And it's like, I want to just get big. That's the yep. only thing I want to do is yeah. just get big. Yep. Um, and then, you know, in the summertime, you see the ones that have the great abs at the beach, and it's I need to get, get on a diet and just bring my body fat down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that will magically make me look bigger, even if I'm not as big as I maybe I had thought I wanted mm-hmm. to be. <laughs> when, so, do you, when do you think was the... Uh, the best shape of your life. Like the baseball players always say, that. Oh, so-and-so's in the best shape of his life. When were you in the best you know, shape It's hard life? to say, but it's funny because uh, people have posted pictures on Facebook of me, you know, from 20 years ago. And it's like, wow, was I really in that kind of shape? Or was I, because sometimes our self-perception is different than, you know, looking back now, it's like, wow, I didn't realize I was that big or, mm-hmm. or that lean It's how or you define best shape of your life too. Also, yeah. Because yeah. you could look amazing, right? And you'll hear competitors talk about that, but the damage that they're doing to their mm-hmm. bodies to get to that point, whatever they're taking, however they're training, however they're dieting, it's not really in the best shape of their life. Mm-hmm. That might be in their 50s and 60s when they figure out and get their shit together yeah. and say, this is what I need to do and this is what I need to not do. Yeah, I've heard that from a couple of um, of our athletes where they say, I competed X times, one time, three times, and my body never forgave me. Yep. I, um, you know, without naming any names, I was like, oh yeah, that's, I well, kind of say, I see what that, what even that means. Even at muscle and fitness, course, we, sometimes. <laughs> even at muscle and fitness, we'd shoot guys the day after the Mr. Olympia contest, mm-hmm. the guys that won the contest, um, uh, the biggest and best bodybuilders in the world. And they struggled with their workouts the next day because they were so depleted, mm-hmm. mostly um, just energy. The worst of all was giving them a leg workout to do um, the day after they competed in a, a Mr. Olympia kind of contest. And and they'd only want to put two plates on the bar. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, and that was sort of the pre-Photoshop days, mm-hmm. you know, um, we, which we, now we can fake anything, right? Well, so. we, got a, we got a photo <laughs> from Phil Heath um, in the final days before we moved into the new office where he was holding this dumbbell like this doing this curl and it's got like you know eight ten pound plates or whatever right. on on the other side there was one <laughs> <laughs> because somebody it's, didn't crop the photo properly well, and, and it's funny because there were times when you know we'd have articles and, and one uh, top pro um, who passed away Nasser El-Sambadi mm-hmm. um, we shot him with this heavy arm workout and he's doing um, standing dumbbell curls with 35 pounds mm-hmm. again this is pre-photoshop and it's just like how is that going to work in this this article mm-hmm. you know um, so what um do you have do you have any accomplishments that looking looking back um, in your what do you say thirty plus years that you're like you know what that's that was maybe the greatest accomplishment I had in the gym it doesn't have to be like oh seven hundred pound deadlift but like something like I, I I've asked that to various bodybuilders that I've interviewed here like Jay Cutler and they're always they always have interesting answers to that well you know what I wish I had Jay Cutler's accomplishments but mm-hmm. um, I mean I always wanted to bench four hundred never came close mm-hmm. you know, I think I got to three fifteen mm-hmm. for a couple reps that I just you know I was more limited based on my my genetics and and uh, than, than other people but mm-hmm. we're always comparing ourselves upward right. rather than mm-hmm. downwards so mm-hmm. um, in a sense those were good accomplishments but I always wanted more Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, and honestly, too, I mean, 
I have learned so much since then. Like, for example, if my bench was 350 and my best bench, um, I've learned from two of our strength writers, uh, Todd Bumgardner and, and Josh Bryant, that there are ways to attack your bench from the start position and the lockout position that can help you improve. Well, we didn't even cover those kinds of concepts, mm-hmm. you know, 15 years ago in, in a bodybuilding magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like if I had some of that knowledge that I see now that I had it back then, probably would have been able to at least have some strategies to mm-hmm. kind of overcome some of those limitations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and one, one thing that um, it seems like bodybuilders get right as opposed to say guys who are so focused on strength is figuring out how to make light or make heavy weights light like everybody's like you know there's this obsession these days with with your one rm i see it in youtube comments and comments all the time like oh my i you know my one rm is blah 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 what what does their one rm look like it's probably a battle for their life but somebody who can take a reasonable weight and make it into something that gives them a sincere stimulus to get stronger is, is a whole other skill. Absolutely. And bodybuilding isn't about pushing maximal weights, number one. It's about looking good on stage. So it's, it's, clearly, it's clearly different. But I was thinking about that point the other day. I was doing because my shoulder, I have a bum shoulder too. And so one of the things I do for chest is do like a pre-exhaust routine. Mm-hmm. And that allows you to isolate with a single joint movement your chest first it becomes pre-fatigued, so when you get to the presses, you don't have to use as heavy a weight right. uh, because maybe it, it, the, the press hurts your shoulder. But So now you have to use less weight. Mm-hmm. So there are ways to make a, um, a weight feel heavier, and pre-exhaust is one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are others that slow down your repetition speed and some other right. techniques right. Um, that a lot of bodybuilders use. A lot of bodybuilders have injuries. Mm-hmm. And you know, after having interviewed many of them, they, they do things to cheat around the system. And, and they don't go full bore heavy all the time mm-hmm. just because they can't. Right. So making a weight feel heavier than it really is is a real skill mm-hmm. a real art and, and, and skill well and I think I think there's there's an underrecognized strength benefit there too um, uh, one of the strength coaches that writes for me Tony Gentilcore had an interesting piece on his blog about this recently where he said you know um, he, he likes to do he started doing chest flies so that he can feel his chest working more during his bench press and he feels like his bench press form and he's not a he's not a, a guy who's seeking muscle he's a he's a pure strength guy mm-hmm. but he feels like pre-fatiguing the chest allows him to feel um, feel a heavy movement where he should feel it a little bit more and I found I found that like I, I know I joke around about the you know the ass blasting program that Paul and I have been doing, but if I do single, single, if I just, if I, if I beat the shit out of my ass before doing kettlebell swings, I can tell what good form is. And if not, then my ass is numb from sitting up there all day, you know, and I have to pre fatigue it to a point where it's like, Oh God, I just woke up. Oh, I feel terrible. You know, it's gotta be sore. Uh, ass and triceps both have to be sore. I find in order to actually work for me. Right. You know, and I think though people get, can get that confused because I'll see people doing pre-fatiguing and then trying to do heavy squats. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think you're missing the point of why you do a pre-fatigue set right. or why you might do higher repetitions. For me, shoulders, unless I do super high reps, not going to feel anything. But mm-hmm. I could do three sets of 10 on RDLs and I'll be sore for three days mm-hmm. after that. I learned which muscles respond and adapt to a certain stimulus. Yes, that takes a lot of years and reading and staying up to date and listening to experts and watching videos. But it kills me when I see people just doing, oh, I read it in this article, 
pre-fatigue do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I need to do uh, four sets of drop sets on leg extensions before I go and start doing some heavy strength protocol. It's like you're missing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, that's what leads to injury. That's So it's not just, you know, you, you have to figure out what works for you. You have to play around. You have to try. You have to experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people get a little nervous about doing that in the gym mm-hmm. if totally. they're not comfortable with it. Well, nobody mm-hmm. wants to uh, feel those eyes on you. Like yeah. there's somebody shaking their head at you. Yeah. Like, but I, that and that's just, doing? again, years of experience. I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I go in there, headphones on. Don't talk to me. Let uh-huh. me do my thing. You know, there's mirrors there if you want to look at what, what you're doing. But uh, yeah, kind of getting over, over your ego and what mm. you're doing. Try it out videotape yourself look at your form because like you were saying before yeah my back's totally straight I'm not running my back Mm -hmm. yeah you are but if you can't see it can't feel it Mm -hmm. you're not going to know that gets to sort of like the the one lesson I did not put in the article that I'd written about the 30 the uh, 22 lessons I learned um, was that you never stop becoming a student you're always learning new things. I have been exposed to so much with uh, professional uh, trainers and bodybuilders and athletes, um, and I always learn something new from them, and I try it in the workout. And if you come in with the, the attitude is I know everything that there is to know that I need to know, you're going to close off um, new ways of thinking and new ways to train. Um, and so it's really important, in my opinion, to um, just be, Always be a student. Always mm-hmm. being a student of the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to our, if you go to the website of our podcast, you can um, you can click to a link. Um, read Bill's article. Fourteen. How many is it? Fourteen things. Fourteen lessons I learned after thirty two. Thirty two. Four years of lifting. Oh, actually. okay. What makes you shake your head when you see somebody doing something in the gym? Like, you mean daily? <laughs> um, the, nobody, multiple uh, times. Nobody daily. has Keep ever it. done anything um, with poor form in this gym of course in the bodybuilding.com gym absolutely not we are models we're all experts (laughs) right yeah i I see it in our gym too um you know it's again beginners tend to make more um form types of mistakes as you get Mm -hmm. uh, more experienced you hopefully you're you're learning um and that's why it's so important to to learn from someone who knows if you're never going to, you're not born knowing how to do a Romania deadlift and keeping mm-hmm. your back flat. It's something you have to sort of turn sideways in the mirror and know what to look for. Mm-hmm. And I've actually tried to teach a flat back to people, and it's really hard to get them to learn that. They just want to keep it rounded, mm-hmm. and it's just like flatten it, stick your butt out, um, mm-hmm. you know, bring your chest up. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not first nature to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's 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 really tough to learn. Why, why do you think that is? Is it is it weakness in the lower back? Is it is it, I mean, what is what's what's the weak link that's making? Because I, I feel like I see that all the time. Well, think about how you pick up something from mm-hmm. the ground, and right. I think that's what people associate it with. Like you know, I'm not going to use my legs. I'm going to bend at my back or bend at the waist, pick something up. Mm-hmm. That's what we're used to doing, which is why low back injuries. Right. Yeah. But also, <laughs> Most I mean, injury we have. I mean, there's. There's deadlifts and there's Romanian deadlifts, and mo- a lot of people don't know the difference between them. So they actually make a movement that combines elements of both. Mm-hmm. I see that all the time. The sort stiff-legged of, RDL. Well, and then there's a stiff-legged uh, deadlift <laughs> as well. But in terms of like the deadlifts, which should touch the floor because mm-hmm. you're coming from a dead stop, whereas Romanians don't touch the floor. But I see people putting the bar on between reps on Romanians mm-hmm. all the time, and it's just like, well, no, that's supposed to be a deadlift, and that 
changes what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, you, you might have a good idea how movement's done, but there's lots of technical things you know, about your head. And, and because I see too many people craning their neck and putting their cervical spine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually how I, I had a, um, uh, a herniation in my cervical spine was, was looking down while I was shrugging with heavy weights. Now, those 100-pound dumbbells are going right through my arms, through my shoulders, right to my spine. Mm. And there's a real natural desire to look down. And right. if you watch people in the gym with heavy shrugs, they're going to start looking down. That changes the cerv- what should be a the natural position of the cervical spine. And all of a sudden, you've got it out of, that, out of position. And you've got stress applied with heavy weight with a spine that's out of alignment. Mm-hmm. And that is the recipe for um, disaster. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing short of disaster. I ended up having uh, neck surgery mm-hmm. um, that, that was a, an injury that lasted several years, actually. Hmm. Um, just and, and it was just one, one rep, you just went, oh, could, shit. Well, it was a little bit progressive, but it was one exercise that I had one technique part down wrong. Mm-hmm. I was looking down, and when it happened, it felt like a knife got inserted right in my shoulder blade. It mm-hmm. was a stab, and my whole arm went numb for about three weeks. And um, and then it just atrophied. And I mean atrophied so bad that I could do a dumbbell press with my good side with 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. The, the, the bad side, I couldn't do 20 pounds on a dumbbell press and it was shaking the whole way. There was no nerve connection mm-hmm. anymore. I mean, that's how bad it got. Then did you go to the doctor right away or did I you think, oh, chiro- it'll pass, it'll pass. went to chiropractor, mm-hmm. acupuncturist. You know, they tell you to start with conservative treatment, but with nerve injuries, mm-hmm. I think you need to be a little bit speedier on how it's done because some of those, if they hang around too long, uh, they're not going to reverse themselves. Mm-hmm. So, but um, nobody wants to hear that they can't lift to <laughs> no. take time off. So I don't go to the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's fine. But that, It'll I fix mean, itself. There is this whole other world of sports therapy out there. Um, what uh, what have you guys had good luck with? Chiropractor. Yeah, love I love my chiropractor. chiropractor. Mm-hmm. I've had. I've had the neck injury, but when I get chiropractic, it just sort of releases yeah. and it just moves him more easily. Mm-hmm. You know, the same with my middle back as mm-hmm. well. Um, but I, I love going to chiropractic. Mm-hmm. What yeah. about soft tissue stuff, Creston and all of those? Have you, have you ever tried any of that? I've done a little bit of it. I'm just not quite as a fan because mm-hmm. I really think that a lot of what, where my injuries come from, where I, I always feel lower back pain on my right side, same spot. It's because my hips are off. I'm putting more weight onto my right side than my left side. Mm-hmm. I'm compensating. And a lot of that, I think, comes from manual adjustment. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, to relieve some soreness, some, some treatment like that, yeah, massage, those sorts of things, right. um, mm-hmm. stem or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. now they make those portable, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, TENS units. And I have one. It's awesome. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, what one of those run? That's interesting. Oh, super cheap on Amazon, uh-huh. like 25 bucks. Huh. Um, wait, wait. wait. Lay that out for us. What is it? What do you, what do, you do with that? Exactly? Yeah. So, um, really cool portable unit. Um, and if you've ever had, I remember back in my uh, high school days, um, broke uh, a bone in my ankle, um, or I guess the lower part of my um, tibia, and uh, they use it to. It's more or less just immediate. Mm-hmm. pain relief um it doesn't really translate into prolonged any sort of you know relief from discomfort mm-hmm. uh sort of thing so um you know used to get it we called it stem used to get it on my uh my lower leg helped to kind of 
increase nerve impulses, increase um, conduction in the area, help to minimize some of the inflammation, things like that. Well, is it like a cold laser? No, no, it's um, I'm trying to describe it. It's you know. come from a science background, but it's like uh, electrodes, Mm -hmm. if you can think of that. Um, And so it it feels like, kind of like if you were to take a high dose of beta alanine and you get that sort of tingling feeling, which you just did. did. Yeah. So imagine that, um, but on a body part, right, that you can uh, localize. And so now I use it for my lower back when it's, when I feel like it's really tense, it kind of helps to relax it. So basically what you're doing is kind of disrupting the normal neural patterns, Mm -hmm. neural patterns there to kind of take a really tense muscle or groups of muscles and cause them to relax a little bit to increase blood flow and circulation like mm-hmm. that. So, um, you know, you put it really anywhere and they give you instructions, obviously, just so you don't hurt yourself. You can adjust the intensity so that the more tight you are, um, the more uh, pain that you're experiencing, you can crank that bad boy up. You can keep it mm-hmm. on for an hour, if you will. Yeah, so super easy, portable it's it's been pretty awesome. I know a few people in the office are using mm-hmm. it. They're just sitting um, on one. Yep, moment. just yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you're at your desk hearing that, so that's what that is. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> know what you're thinking. Um, it's for health. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. So that's definitely that's one of the things I, I started using after I ruptured a disc in my back. Yeah, for mm. the same reasons I have such such tightness on one side, um, and that's been one. But yeah. The, you go to the chiropractor if they use it there or the physical therapist. Mm. I've always used it with physical therapists and they probably have a nicer one that's a little bit more expensive, but you can get them pretty inexpensively on mm. any online store that oh, sells tens okay. units. You know, Nick and Chrissy, one of the things that like the, the most important lesson learned in, in training was that um, God didn't design the human body to do this kind of activity repetitively repetitively for many, many years, mm-hmm. if not decades or more. We weren't designed that way. We, evol- the bodybuilding has only been around for 50, 60 years. We haven't had the chance to evolve that fast. It's an activity that will tear your body down over time, even if you do everything right. You're going to have issues ultimately. Um, so, I mean, there are ways to lessen that. You know, make sure you use good form, schedule downtime, and, and some other things. But, um, you know, it's just ultimately your body is breaking down and you need to be able to, you know, manage that. Mm-hmm. For, you know, most of us are recreational athletes. For, for people who are seriously into sports or, or, or professional bodybuilding, um, they're committing everything to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know that they can, but I think for the rest of us, you know, it's it's an activity we need to to manage, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I'm sure both of you have known plenty of people who compete. I imagine over the years, and maybe helped help them out in in various ways. Like what's uh, you know, what, what's that that person as they just get closer and closer to that climat- climactic date in their life? Um, how dark of a time is that for somebody? <laughs> Yeah. Like, how, how, what is the, is the uh, potential for, for injury, for doing things wrong, just um, almost inevitable at that point? That would be my concern is that I would, I would get to a point where I couldn't be a good um, ally for myself. I'd be working against myself, and I would need somebody there to tell me, whoa, 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 you're totally doing this wrong right now. Did yeah, you, I mean, I would, those people need somebody in their corner? I, I think so, and I, and I don't even think it comes down to what they're doing in the weight room mm-hmm. as far as a safety thing, but 
Man, some of my friends who have competed, it is, I mean, you're just concerned about their mental stability, mm-hmm. their, how they're, you know, when they're alone, what are they thinking? What are they doing? Right. What are they, you know, some of these journals, the things that they write down, like they're, <laughs> where their mind goes. All work and no play. Yeah, yeah, they've got lists of just foods that they're going to eat. And so it, it's kind of, you know, it, you can do the same thing in the weight room, but when you are, are so structured for a certain period of time, and then you just let yourself go, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. You know, all constraints are gone, or restraints. You know, there's nothing holding you back. Um, that's it's scary. Mm-hmm. Is it just the the allure of seeing the, those abs in the mirror yeah. the first time? You go, oh, never, yeah. never again will I will I allow myself anything. Yeah, I must have them forever. <laughs> I don't know. Having never seen my abs, I can't say. Well, what Nick, there was I've um, seen two of mine <clears throat> in professional bodybuilding. Oh, wait, wait, there. Yeah, there, 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 there. I just found them. They're right here. When the light, lift, when the light is just right in a very dark up, room, yeah. you can yeah, you can see the abs. <laughs> I was going to say, in professional bodybuilding, I guess about a decade or two ago, you saw a lot of the top guys um, relying on Nubane, which was a, uh, I'm not exactly sure if that was a drug, it was anti-inflammatory or what, but they were training, having to use this Mm -hmm. to, as a painkiller. And uh, you'd sort of hear about it sort of in the, um, not in the mainstream press, but Mm -hmm. more, you know, underground. Conversation. Um, Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's not healthy, Mm -hmm. you know, because if you're on a painkiller, you can do about anything. And once it wears off, you're going to be awfully sore from what you put Mm -hmm. a damaged uh, joint through uh, during that time. So um, Yeah, I'd say you see that more with bodybuilding than more on the female side of things when you've got bikini competitors. And Mm -hmm. I don't think they're still trying to, you know, push heavy weights, try to do, you know, they're, they're dropping weights, they're doing a lot of yeah, cardio, and so it just becomes, I mean, it's still wear and tear to your body. Those those fitness competitors, I imagine. Oh, I mean, like that's, it's too. Yeah, it's uh, fitness at the uh, at the Arnold and at the Olympia, we always try to watch just because it's it's such an incre- incredible display of athleticism. It's like this weird little mini Olympic event with way worse music and, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, th- those women, I imagine, just must be sore as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, I was a weight class athlete in college and Mm. obviously we weren't judged by the way our muscles looked, but how we performed. Mm. And I was a rower and I raced as a lightweight rower. And you want to talk about being miserable, Mm. trying to make weight and still practice three hours Mm. a day. Um, you know, and it's a little, you know, we're, we're weighing in, you weigh in an hour before. So it's not like I'm an, you know, UFC fighter and have 24 mm. hours to put weight back on or to re- I mean, But even that. Even, I mean, it's horrible. The things you do to your body right. and kind of, you know, sh- I've learned a lot since yeah. then. I would do things 100% differently mm. than how I was trying to do it back then. And But it's the same thing. You you learn from what the other people, so what the other rowers were doing. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the thing. I, the one thing I will say, you're starting to see people competing – who are doing four months prep, six months prep, mm-hmm. and, and slowly going into it, kind of getting away from this eight and 12 week balls to the wall, you know, try to die down in the shortest amount of time. And that's what we did as athletes. You don't want to be in a calorie deficit and working out and right. training your ass off for six months. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think we're finally starting to realize is that if you do a slower, progression you don't have to make it so drastic you don't have to cut so quick and then you see less injuries you see less burnout and you see less rebound 
coming back from it. Mm, right. And uh, it, I hope to see it continue in going in that way with these longer. Hmm, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, um, it's interesting that you bring up 12 weeks, you know, of course we always have these 12 week, everything in our programs here um, and everywhere. Uh, and I, I remember Bill Phillips telling us all here the story of 12 weeks, which is I had a vacation in 12 weeks. I decided that was what that I was, was aiming it. for. And that's, <laughs> but and you know, stuck. that w- that was what 20, 22 years ago that when that particular story happened, um, but you've been you've been in this industry longer than that. Is is was twelve weeks? Did that have cachet before then, or before that? Did everybody have a more reasonable um, I think I, the, expectation? The transformation <laughs> aspect is something that probably emerged after Bill Phillips because he offered, I think, the first contest for those kinds of things. You, you saw before and after pictures used by advertisers a lot before Charles that, Atlas. but you didn't see the competition, right. the transformation competition aspect of it. And, and Bill, I think at the time, was giving out $100,000 to right. his winners. Um, so it what, that changed it more for the regular guy as opposed to, you, you know, the before and after is featuring professional athletes. It was like, well, of course, he can get out of shape and get it's in shape. He knows how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see a lot more of that today. Um, and uh, you know, I wish, you know, because I think there's a motivational aspect to uh, putting yourself, writing your name down and doing a, uh, a, a commit to a transformation because other people doing it. We have people at work doing it, so I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more successful than just some arbitrary, I'm going to get in shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons. It's just more a successful way to do a transformation. Yeah, but sometimes it can also just get a little a little awful. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure you hear it as much as anybody, yep. but I've heard from some people. God, I hate transformation season because people start you, you start hearing weird things discussed that you just feel like why why are you talking about that? Like, yeah, I heard two people arguing about uh, in the break room about whether carrots had too many carbs to allow them to eat a carrot. If there's ever a high carb food, it's carrots. Now, in, in this away. person's defense, I have since then seen these charts in various pieces that are like, yeah, carrots are remarkably um, high carb and high GI. For a vegetable, but whatever, it's a right, carrot. <laughs> How thing. many are you going to eat? You, you yeah, know? <laughs> you're going to tell me I can't eat carrots? Like, <laughs> come on! Like that's what I hate about and, transformations. You start picking apart goals, every food. Like um, one of, one of our coworkers when we uh, when we had our goal board put up there, something like. Don't have such a fat lower body. That was me. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. No, I know. I, know. I saw it. And I was like, yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah, no, I don't know. write it's, that out yeah. there for yeah. everybody. Come on. Yeah. Kind of. And that's not even not, a goal. Not, that's just an a, insult. Just, you're insulting yourself. That's a packaged insult. We can just know. Yeah. Band yeah. Put yourself down before anyone else can. Right. And some part of me was like, Oh, I shouldn't say anything. But another part of me was like, What are you doing? Get that off of there. That's yeah. a horrible goal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, uh, essentially, that's what you're, a lot of the times when we write these goals, we're saying, what do we suck at right now? Mm-hmm. Or what's the crappiest part about our body? And then can I change it in 12 weeks? And then what are you going to do to change mm-hmm. it? So oh, maybe that's it, though. Maybe we do need to do single body part focused transformations. Yes. 12 weeks of nothing but the but like I, spot dieting for a particular body part. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 12 weeks bleaks. That, yeah. 12 weeks to bleaks. I got spot, our next one. spot reduction works. <laughs> Let's just get those saran wrap. That's it. Bells. Um, there is some. Uh, it's cold. If you if you put cold on it, supposedly cryotherapy. It does work. Yeah. Some lady died doing that. FYI. No, no, no. Not not full body cryotherapy, oh. but localized. Oh. So there's this condition where um, 
In the old days, kids would their, their cheeks would get really gaunt when they had a lot of ice and ice cream during the summer, oh. and that they're, they're actually and there's been some research into this. There there actually is a localized fat burning process that happens when you expose something to cold over and over and over again. So if I just put a bunch of ice, ice bags, ice bags, on straight up my mm-hmm. ass, <laughs> done. Well, um, there there Don't are bother me there tonight. are some companies who make the brown fat activating cold bags. Yeah. Like they say, you, you, the, the uh, brown adipose tissue, which is the fat burning tissue or fat, fat burning fat, is located up here and here. And there are little vests you can get that are fro- you freeze them and you put it on. I've heard of those. Um, yeah. Tim Ferriss and Ben Greenfield both have written about. When are we going to start stuff. selling them on the site? <laughs> Um, I think we need some, some testers. Yeah, no, sign me up. <laughs> so, so let's talk. Let's talk about this. This young man. You see the young Bill Geiger around you. The young everybody around you in the gym, right? How is how is that person setting themselves up for pain? Uh, oftentimes, you just see someone at the beach at the store, Jack, little Jack body. It's like, yeah, I want to look like that. And so they either have equipment in their build a little gym in their basement, have a school gym, join a gym. 20 bucks a month, whatever. Um, and then everything's available to them. They can do, you know, you can do hundreds of movements in a gym, but some are better than others. Um, everyone can be done wrong mm-hmm. un- un- until you learn the right form. Uh, even like things like, you know, how many sets should you do? How many reps should you do? What kind of weight should you lift? How long to rest between sets? Those are all important variables that are linked to muscle growth. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes these beginners have no idea. They just go in, Put weight on the bar and lift it. Right. Um, and but we do, we do see this um, this profusion of advanced training ideas everywhere. Right. Everybody talks about drop sets, double drop sets, triple drop sets, Rest going pause, beyond failure, as if training. that's that, as as if that's oh. an inevitable part of everything that you do. Well, it may be down the road. But those are all very advanced techniques, and and you don't want to get distracted from the basic task as a beginner, which is mo- learning new movement patterns and identifying the kinds of exercises you want to do and how to do them right, mm-hmm. um, that should be the focus of when you start. Because, yeah, you can do some of these uh, incredible advanced uh, training tips, but really they're meant for people who are advanced. Um, and I think for beginners, it's pretty keep it basic, keep it mm-hmm. simple, and just you know get in there with enough frequency that you start in, starting to cause a, an effect on your body. So we've been saying beginner, advanced. What do you see? When, when, when is someone a beginner, when do they cross over into advance? Like, when can I start occluding the blood flow to get massive pumps? <laughs> like when I say so. Yeah. No. <laughs> I got, I've, got, I've got a belt I get right here. the stamp here. of approval. I've got this belt. We could put it on yeah, your arm right now. Go for it. You know, I don't know that there's a, an anniversary date that says, hey, I've been lifting for six months. I'm now going to um, jump into an intermediate. Uh, beginners typically follow certain kinds of routines where they do, don't do a lot of exercises per body part. It's sort of a whole body routine, like three sets of, of one exercise for chest, three sets of, of uh, a leg exercise. They do it all on the same day. Um, after a while, that workout kind of stops working. 
Um, there's a law of diminishing returns for just about everything in life, but it works for training too. Um, you're going to need more stimulus to to get go take the next step to the next level. Um, and so uh, you start doing more volume per body part. You start splitting your workout up. That's where you start seeing the jump to the next level. Uh, and that's a continual process. You should never expect that the same workout you did is going to work forever because right. it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. You need to start uh, understanding what those variables are that are linked to growth and start finding ways to manipulate them to um, put changes into your workout mm-hmm. to so what keep you growing. what you're saying, it sounds like it's not just a matter of finding the perfect workout, which is what I hear people searching for all the time, but it's also having the right mindset as you enter the gym, even as a beginner, not letting your intimidation get in the way, but actually trying to build expertise from, from the start. It, you know, none of us knew much about what we were doing when we first started. Mm-hmm. You know, Chrissy's a, a uh, PhD now, but she okay. wasn't a PhD when she started it's lifting probably true. in, in yeah, high school. She, she so. bought that PhD I did. online. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. There's actually a Groupon. Still for paying. Now, still paying. So. <laughs> Weekend, weekend PhD course. <laughs> but even even pro bodybuilders I've, I've interviewed. Bodybuilding university. Yes. <laughs> yep. But there's even some <laughs> pro bodybuilders matter. that I've interviewed, and I asked them, tell me about some of the things you did wrong when you first started training. And you find them amazing. You know, mm-hmm. Milo Sarsev at once told me he would train biceps for five hours, mm-hmm. um, and they actually be smaller by the time he finished <laughs> than, than anything. Muscle um, wasting. But, yeah. but we're all going to make mistakes early on. Okay, that's part of it. The, 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 the thing is you don't want to make uh, mistakes that might ca- uh, cause an injury, which means learning good form is absolutely imperative when mm-hmm. you first start out. It might be worth a good investment to hire a personal trainer who obviously needs to be one who knows what he's doing, not one that you'd see at sort of the the low-end um, fitness uh, health club mm-hmm. um, who's in, still in high school kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, investing in that, you know, reading as much as you can, for beginner-based stuff, don't right. get caught up in the triple drop set kind of things. Mm-hmm. Or um, how much weight is on the bar. That's the thing that, that drives me crazy is when I see people who are like, well, if I'm going to do a squat, I better put two plates on there. Otherwise, it doesn't count as a squat, but it it's a well, battle for their life. Well, neither going a quarter down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> going a quarter down, <laughs> heels coming up. Yeah. And it looks to end. Deadlift is, is another one. I've, I've heard some really compelling cases from pretty smart strength coaches saying, Nobody needs to do anything uh, lower than a rack pull. Like if you are deadlifting for a very good reason, you know, you, you really want to measure your strength, you want to compete, that's one thing. But the rest of us, put it at knee level. What are you thinking, you know? <laughs> yeah. But there might be other strength coaches who have different opinions as mm-hmm. well. And, and, and really, um, I can't say that anyone is right because they both have compelling reasons mm-hmm. um, behind them. But, but scalability um, is something that does get, get lost, I feel like, in, in yeah. contemporary gym culture, you know, because you see people online constantly um, bragging about how strong they are. But the free bar squat is probably not the first squat you're going to try. I, I, I like a goblet mm-hmm. squat. is really easy for beginners to learn. Once you start feeling the, the hips and, and, and the knees, how they uh, flex and extend, um, you get that. And then you graduate to something a little bit more difficult. So mm-hmm. the idea is start off with movements that are fairly simple uh, and sometimes even done on machines because mm-hmm. you learn the movement patterns. And then you're going to start making things harder. Why do you make it harder? Because that's when you adapt to mm-hmm. the increase in the overload. Um, you're not going to adapt if you keep it simple all the time. You have to make this sort of a progressive challenge over mm-hmm. time. And I think something that we've kind of 
hinted around but haven't really addressed it and probably one of my biggest pet peeves in the gym and something that I've learned over the years is planning a workout and then tracking your workout. Because if you go into the gym, you're going to say, I'm going to hit chest today. And I'll see people do flat bench, barbell, flat bench, dumbbell, incline, barbell, incline, dumbbell. And it's hitting the same muscle groups, mm-hmm. more or less the same stimulus. And then if they're not tracking their weight, how do you know you're progressing? So then they do a program for two weeks and they switch to something completely different. You're never going to progress that way or probably not in the way that you want to. Um, I always tell people, just come in with a plan. Have an idea. You don't mm-hmm. have to have it 100% done because obviously something might be taken, something not. But it drives me insane when I see yeah. someone doing the same thing. And we've got and some good workouts on our site that uh, that I've seen that have smart approaches to, to doing uh, some of this progression uh, for, for any body part that you want. Um, but there's tons of bad information out online too. So it's hard mm-hmm. to sift through. But as you know. a beginner, I just come in with a plan mm-hmm. and know what yep. you're doing. This is, um, I'm going to have my kettlebell moment here. Um, this is one reason why I like the kettlebell because you have fewer choices to make. Um, there are fewer weights to choose from, and the weight the jumps are bigger. So it's not like, oh, am I going to do a squat with the 53-pound or the 55-pound or the 57-pound? It's like, you get the 35, you get the 53, you got the 70, and you have fewer choices to make, and it makes it so much mm-hmm. easier to come in with a plan, yeah. especially once you start to get exhausted <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah. I don't know what gym you go to, but those plates don't exist where, where I train. So <laughs> we train in Canada. No, no, we have uh, we <laughs> have two and a half here. pound plates here. Though you can Magnets. you can you can move up in two and a half pound increments, and yep. then there's also the um, what is it pound and a quarter collars. Yep. which you can so I make you, sure you can do the you can do the online. super incremental way here if you want to. Even though this is not um, this is not the most outfitted gym by any means. No. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does its job. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, Bill, if you had it all to do over again, you 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 run you run across a little hot tub time machine. You can go back and tell young Bill Geiger. Well, Bill Geiger, dude, you got to do it this way. What 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 would you do differently? Well, it's funny because I, I I do help a lot of beginners out at the gym, so it's not necessary that I'm under some notion I'm going to start again. But mm-hmm. I oftentimes can help someone out who's just getting started, who's very enthusiastic about what they're doing. Um, I think for a lot of beginners to get overwhelmed with the amount of information, there's just um, so much they can learn. But I, like Chrissy said, you just got to keep it basic and to keep it simple, um, and um, and you work from there. You, um, uh, they don't need to know everything about what's happening in the gym and all the things they can be doing. There are dozens and dozens of check exercises to choose from. Um, many simply just repeat what you've done on a barbell with dumbbells or a machine, uh, so they're more or less interchangeable. But you don't do them all, mm-hmm. um, and it's just That's, sort of those are. I think those are good words to live by. Just. Watch out for meaningless, repetitive volume. Right, yeah. Because you go there, you're like, ah, I got an hour. Today's chest day. I'll do all the chest stuff. 
<laughs> but I, I know people who do that. Right, I'm sure. And they, they, they have nine exercises they do for chest, and it's just like that's, that's going in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, you often hear uh, bodybuilders say it's, you know, the longer the workout, that means you were less intense. You, you should focus on building intensity in a shorter time than trying mm-hmm. to make up for what you didn't do by lengthening your workout by adding on more mm-hmm. sets of different exercises. Um, you know, this is this is not an aerobic activity, mm-hmm. <laughs> what we're doing here. You have right. to get your selfies in, too. Keep that in your mind, too. Lengthens the workout. Mm-hmm. You know, take your pictures. Um, when, I, when I was in... Didn't uh, happen. I was in New Jersey like six six months ago in this random-ass hotel gym, and there was this guy there. I think I, think I recognized that guy. And uh, it might be Steve Weatherford, but... <laughs> nah, I don't think that's Steve Weatherford. And then I saw him go over and take his shirt off in the middle of the gym and start taking selfies next to the You're dumbbell like, yeah, rack. Steve. I was like, oh, yeah, that's Steve. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> so there is there is yeah. a benefit to it. Well, if I had not the, seen him taking that shirtless selfie in the middle of a crowded room of people who are like, what the hell is this guy right. doing? I wouldn't have known it was Steve. And, the and I went up and said hi to him. Unless you have proof of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really what like, that's the workouts. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Chrissy, let's talk about creatine for a yes. second. Yes. Um, First of all, have I been saying it wrong all this time? Uh, you know, that's <laughs> because a, looking at that, uh, I see creatine, creatine, Cre- creatine, and Cre- you certainly don't want to be a cretin. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing: I think you'll you'll find a lot of times in the the world of academia, you talk to researchers. A lot of times, we will say creatine, mm-hmm. um, which cre- looks wrong. I, I know, as somebody who likes my silent e's that change the vowels. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because I'll say beta alanine, mm-hmm. so I have the e in there. Alanine. But I think it's um, <laughs> alanine. I think it's you know it's it's uh, you you grow up and you learn from your mentor whatever was said in your lab, and for us it was creatine and. Um, was it creatine or creatine? Because there's one of those creatine, creatine, creatine. <laughs> creatinine. No, creatine. Um, skeletal muscle or skeletal muscle? That's skeletal. 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 He just that's, he just died. The, the yeah. Canadians will say A- skeletal. skeletal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, nah, there's you know just don't hate on me because I say creatine. No, no, no. I was wrong. I was worried about being hated upon. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I would say probably creatine. Cre- is that how you say creatine? Well, Chrissy, being Creatine. from uh, a southern state, oh, yeah. says things a little I, differently than the rest of us here. So. She's, wait, what? Huh? No, I thought you were French Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, so creatine, creatine, creatine. <laughs> so, uh, but but anyway, we just uh, you just had an article come out a couple of days ago about yeah. about creatine um, and how people can get seemingly the most simple of dosing supplements wrong like you know whey protein i could see yeah you get it wrong because you're like oh i'll just take a shake every now and again but the dosing ingredients for, for creatine are so simple you would think it would be impossible to get screwed up take it every day take one scoop every damn day yep but plenty of people don't see the results maybe they assume that they're one of those um non-responders. famous non-responders yeah. um few and famous. Are, are, how few are they what, what, what's your take on the non-responders uh, it's estimated about 20 percent that's people. a lot but again um so you have to look at these studies are not not the longest running studies it's mm-hmm. very hard to get in uh clinical research to get supplement studies to go on for a very very long time they're not funded well and then there's compliance and so uh you know you 
you say someone was a responder or non-responder, you're saying, okay, you gave it to them for four weeks, their strength didn't increase, they must be a non-responder. Uh, okay. Uh, and that's how it's got. It's not mm. so much of, oh, we ran all of these genetic tests and we <laughs> did muscle you biopsies. You lack and the we creatine saw, yeah, gene. So <laughs> you might have noticed after four weeks, uh, creatine levels did not, or phosphocreatine levels didn't increase. Okay, so they might be a non-responder or their mm. strength didn't, you know, every other person who did this study had significant changes. Mm-hmm. These two didn't, and they were on it. They might be non-responders. Mm-hmm. Now, I've, so. I've heard it theorized that that non-responder person is potentially just somebody who eats so much meat. Yeah, so usually it's because their levels are already at a high enough point mm-hmm. where supplementing with any more. Okay, so you that person's not similar low thing, generally. Right, mm-hmm. Similar thing with beta alanine. So if you have someone who is a sprint athlete, who is a um, kind of a, an athlete that excels in activities that last one to six minutes, kind of like the... Mm-hmm sweet spot for beta alanine, even their training, they can, their body can adapt to, um, increase carnosine levels, which is what beta alanine right. increases. So giving them extra beta alanine, is not going to do anything because they've kind of tapped out their stores. Mm. So, um, a carnosine machine yeah. as it is just walking, bubbling font, font of carnosine. <laughs> make it all day. Yeah. So that's a non-responder. Um, okay. but I would say most people are probably just not, using it correctly mm-hmm. or taking it correctly. And and what do you, what do you think the most common explanation is? Is it just that person is like, "Oh, I took it a couple of days, didn't take it a couple of days. Took it a couple of days, didn't take it a couple of I, days." I yeah, I would say either they, you know, did a loading protocol, felt miserable mm-hmm. or noticed a, a small weight gain. I don't know. Right. Creatine makes me bloated and it makes it me gain weight and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um or they're like, oh, it's in this drink I already have. It's in this this supplement that I already mm-hmm. have, whether it's pre-workout, post-workout, whatever it is. Um, and a lot of times because of the number of ingredients in those products or um, the cost of, you know, having to include so many ingredients, they will put only, you know, one or two grams. Mm-hmm. And that's just not going to do it. For most people, it's And not so you see with it. some of those proprietary blends, uh, you really don't know the actual amount of each of the ingredients you're getting. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is why I tell people, I mean, creatine is so cheap to buy on right. its own. Like, buy a tub of it. Beta alanine as well. Beta alanine, very, very yeah. Right. And creatine, you're talking a teaspoon. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't even notice that you're taking that. Um, but on the other hand, it gets much more expensive after the creatine makes you snap and, you know, it, go beat somebody yeah, up in the yep, grocery store. It, or, yeah, then kill someone. Then there's a defense fund mm-hmm. and all yeah, that sort of stuff. Or you suffer a cramp on how, the football field. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or have kidney failure. That's right. Know? Kidney failure. That's expensive. <laughs> it's very expensive. It's when you have to deal with a transplant and dialysis. Uh, yeah, so it's, I would say those two are, are the common ones. Or, um, you know, it's funny that the article came out yesterday and there's so many comments that are like, well, Okay, so heard that you should cycle off. You know, I've always said, don't ever cycle off creatine. Mm-hmm. There's no, it's like, why would you cycle off taking uh, fish oil? Or why would you cycle off taking a multivitamin? It's not because it has no effect on your body's own production of creatine. Um, you know, so when people are like, so, so what happens when I, I come off of it? Well, you go back to down or right back to where you started mm-hmm. and you reduce your levels of creatine. It's like, why would you? There's so, just no point to what, it. Has anybody researched the, the, the grace period that goes with, with these various loading-based supplements like beta alanine, creatine, sodium phosphate? Like how, how long are they good for? Like if you stopped taking? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, like I'm thinking of sodium phosphate. So it has this four to six day loading protocol yep. in theory prepping yeah. for a race. But what if you're doing a multi-day race? 
Yeah. You know, and that one I don't know. I know that they've done with creatine and beta alanine, it takes about four to six weeks to come back down. So let's oh, say you okay. stop so supplementing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I tell people if you're traveling, you don't want to bring, you know, container of creatine and beta alanine and whatnot, mm-hmm. you're fine. You know, if you take a few days off here and there, once you're so you could do a weekday one, yeah, a weekday protocol as well. Yeah. Mm. So and and that happens a lot too because I know for me, I always remember to take it with my BCAs or whatever else. So if I'm you know I don't train that day, sometimes I'll forget or I just won't add it to something. Mm -hmm. But I've been taking it since I started my master's program. That actually creatine was. I used it in my thesis. So I've been taking it since I was like 24. Hmm. So two years. You've been <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> how, and how many yeah. people did you murder over the course um, of that? Only three, oh, surprisingly. Really? Yeah. But you're considering a fourth yeah. right well, now. Well, you know, I've been, I've been uh, searching around this area to see where I would dispose of the body. And I, once I figured that out... Um, now, Chrissy, you said um, the daily dosage of creatine was about five grams, right? Yes. So what, how many grams would you get in, let's say, a 16-ounce steak, for example? Is that enough to cover your daily needs? Yeah, no. Um, so it's a little bit, I don't know quite the conversion from cooked to raw right. or raw to cooked, um, but it takes about two to three pounds of raw meat mm-hmm. to get about two to three grams um, of creatine. And again, your body does make some as well, your body makes about two grams and you excrete some as well. So if you wanted to go solely food, you're talking about whatever three pounds of raw meat is going to It's doable. Cost you. Probably it's not doable, the easiest way to get but it. But you're, you're, you're <laughs> talking about uh, maybe it costs three cents to take a serving mm-hmm. of creatine. I can tell you it's a lot more when you're cooking up that much steak. Yeah, it, it. That, is, that is the low price option for sure. Yeah. As opposed to... Um, tart cherry. One of my friends wanted to get some yes, tart cherry. Yeah. My God, it's that stuff just yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it's what you, the option is if you eat it is what forty cherries or something right. like that. So yeah, yeah I hadn't it's thought like about the, just there, that. That might be cheaper still. Yeah. Getting the actual cherries because you can go or to Costco. A pie. If I ate a whole Kirkland pie. makes a big old bag of tart cherries. Are you sure they're not the, the other kind of cherries? No, no, they are. They are uh, Montgomery tart cherries, okay. which are the ones they use in the studies. Yeah. I might, I might pass that along. Yeah. We just need to get you sponsored yeah. by a tart cherry person. <laughs> Solve. I was Nick Collier. It's here for tart cherries. <laughs> <laughs> get tart from the start. Um, if, you go to, if you go to the website of our podcast, you can, um, you can click to a link. Um, read Dr. Chrissy Kendall's um, Five Reasons Your Creatine Is Not Working. Um, um, and we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, you've, you've heard of beta alanine. But what about... Beard, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Beer? <laughs> Anyone? Anyone? 